Welcome to the latest ATP Tennis Radio podcast. I'm Seb Lozier, and as the year draws to a close, we continue our look back on the story of 2018 with some of our favourite interviews from the year. If you haven't listened to last week's podcast, we had Boris Becker and Emilio Sanchez, among others, bringing the story up to Rome. This week, we reflect on the rest of the calendar year, starting at the Rogers Cup in Toronto. There are now more ways than ever to tune into the podcast. You can find it on TuneIn via the ATP World Tour website, on iTunes, and now also on Spotify. So we pick up the story in Toronto, the sixth ATP Masters 1000 of the year. But of course, there'd been a lot of water under the bridge since Rome. Rafael Nadal winning his 11th French Open and Novak Djokovic confirming that he was well and truly back by taking his fourth Wimbledon. And after that, Djokovic started as the favourite in Toronto, but came up against a red-hot young Greek, Stefanos Tsitsipas, who beat him in three sets. And afterwards, Jill Krabus spoke with his father and coach, Apostolos. You know how the, the players, the young players, see it like when they see such a great champion like Novak Djokovic, opposite of them, it's like, it's like they play with the history of tennis. <laughs> So and uh, but but I believe you know one match is just one match, you know. Uh, it helps you. It helps you to to improve. It helps you to settle some things in your mind. But it's not the most important in your career. For me, the best, the most important in your career is to play good tennis, to and to be happy about yourself. It's very difficult. Of course, of course, you you have to talk to the player to tell him that. You don't think against whom you play. You just play the, the play the game, play the ball, play play your tactics, play your game. But uh, you know, this is the way. We, usually, the players try to proceed in this kind of uh, game. But I believe that uh, the players themselves, you know, when they're going out there in the court and they decide to follow the tour at, at this level, Stevens now is uh, top twenty. Uh, I think they're ready to fight. They're ready to to proceed. They're ready to go to the to the top. So they have this uh, in initial ability, let's say, inside them, uh, initial power. So you don't need to speak so much about it. <laughs> They're fighters, you know, the one who's out there in the courts and uh, they're holding the racket and uh, staying like a couple of hours in the court. They're big fighters, all of them. And I just want to ask you, because um, he's had such great success this past year and he's really just r- risen up the rankings. Were there certain things that you focused on last year that, like a couple, two or three certain things that you focused on last year to get to him to this spot where he is now? Yes, he focused uh, in, to, to, in the physical part. He worked a lot in physically, but I can say not a lot. I can say he did uh, he, the right things uh, with his fitness coach, Mr. Lefebvre. And uh, and uh, Muratul Academy organized a, a kind of um, uh, program around him that uh, to 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 drive his his mind to the top. So it's very smart from Patrick Muratoglu, and uh, I'm really happy that he's in this kind of group of people, and uh, which they are already champions. They achieve a lot of things in their life and uh, in, with their with their let's say programs, and uh, it works good for Stefanos actually right now. And so what really impresses me about Stefanos is, of course, not only his tennis game, but the way he carries and handles himself off the court. How much, you mentioned Patrick on the mental side, how much do you help him with that mental side as well? Hopefully, hopefully I'm successful in this. Uh, definitely is very, very important. Uh, for me, the most important is that, that he, he's good out of the tennis court. That's that is successful as a fire. Good, father. as you mean happy and yes, yeah. that's successful. That, that's that's if I I don't want to talk about my success as a tennis coach, as a mental trainer. I want to talk my success as a father. If I'm successful as a father and my family are, are happy, my child is happy, uh, then then I'm I'm really happy myself because this is my role in life. 
I'm a father. <laughs> you know, as a tennis coach, okay, you know, I, I know some, I, I have some education about tennis. I have some experience about tennis coaching, but it doesn't mean anything. I cannot uh, provide someone with this information and he will become a champion. But if, uh, if, I, if I manage to, to, to bring out his, his uh, let's say, what he has, if I take out the racket, if I take out uh, the tennis skills, if I take out his, and what it's left, that's important from one uh, human being, from one athlete. This one you have to, to help to take the shape, the beautiful shape. And I believe, I believe in this field I'm happy because Stefan is a very humble boy. He likes, uh, he likes the people, he likes, uh, he li- he's, a, he's kind with, with, his, with the other players, he's kind with his fans, he's kind, he's kind with the small children, he's kind with his parents, and it's very nice to see that from your child. I mean, I think it comes across extremely well. I think a lot of people see that. I mean, he's getting a lot more exposure and exposure now, so you can see that coming through. And I know you're also a big part of a lot of stuff that he's doing off the court. He's got his own podcast now. Yes. Um, talk a little bit about that. How did that come about? Or was that his idea? Yes, he likes, he likes to expose his ideas. Uh, he likes to invite some people. He likes to... To see if he can, uh, he can, uh, he can copy something about uh, about his life in, in in the tapes to have it as a memory, because sometimes he's telling me, you know, the life is going, and I want to have this these memories I live so intensively, and I want to have them somewhere in the tapes. <laughs> he says, this is for me the most important for f- uh, when we talk about technology. That that's for that reason, it's good the technology. That's, I think it's the smart way because uh, when, when he captures his photos, his trips, his, it's his life. He says, this is my life now. I need to remember one day what, what I did. And I need to, if I can help some people with what I do, I'll be very, very happy. He says. And also, I, I, I read recently that he took a trip on his own to try and learn about himself yes. a little bit more. Was that... Did, was that a suggestion from you, or when he went, uh, mm, or was that him as well? No, he decided himself. He says, "I want to stay alone," and he visited some islands. He spent ten days there. He was just by himself, and he was very, very happy. And uh, he, when he came back, I asked him, oh, "What?" I told him, "How was the trip?" And he says, "I didn't know." He says that there are so many things to learn about yourself. So can you give us any insight of what he learned? Or? Uh, I don't know. You didn't tell he me. Didn't he, does, <laughs> he keeps it to himself. There are so many things I didn't know about me. Wow. So I get to know myself much better now. And, uh, and that's very happy to hear from young people because that's, at the end, is, this is the, the thing. Because we, we're talking about the other people. We're involving with the other people. We don't know about ourselves. And so, and so after he took that trip, he didn't really reveal anything. But did you notice a difference in his tennis when he came back from that trip? Yes. That trip, after, that, the, after this trip, he started his, the way up. He was very, very certain and very, uh, very um, let's say, very much uh, focused, uh, very much uh, decisive, very much... He was much happier. I, I saw it. He was much happier. I think he decided that that's the meaning of my life, my tennis. Because maybe until this moment, he wasn't 100% sure that did it make the right choice in my life? It, it's really something that is inside me. He ma- makes me full. And probably these 10 days, mm-hmm. thought about it and missed it. And he said, okay, now I have to go for it. Wh- when was this trip again? Uh, I was after Miami. After Miami, okay. And can you, where did he go? Or you can't really, he that's a secret Island, too. Somewhere in Virgin oh. Islands. <laughs> and uh, I remember maybe the, maybe the island was Anegada Island. A small island, maybe 20 local habitants. Mm-hmm. And uh, he told me it's a paradise on earth. Because, and then he told me another thing, that the time there is flowing much slower. He says, must be some kind of uh, phenomenon, he says here. I say, really? <laughs> <laughs> like he felt that there's no stress, you know. You know, We have so much stress in, in our everyday life, in the tour, and it's, it's mm. tough for them. For, for these guys, I, I don't understand how they survive. Stress in the morning, stress during the match, that before the match, that after the match, stress during the night and I always ask him can I do something that you I get a little bit stressed I think I think maybe maybe the absorption um, that I'm absorbs him absorb a little bit of his stress maybe that's the best help I can give to him right now <laughs> I think more than this <laughs> um, and just and now just going back to the the tennis a little bit as your as his coach 
What What's the goal for him? The goal uh, is to come in, to be healthy, and play good tennis. That's the goal. He's played a lot of matches. <laughs> yes. He played a lot of matches uh, to be healthy, to be fresh as much as he can and play his best tennis. And hopefully he will enjoy it. He will enjoy it. Well, he looks like he's enjoying it. Yeah. Apostolos Tsitsipas talking with Jill Krabus and his son Stefanos would go all the way to the final in Toronto, losing to Rafa Nadal. But a week is an eternity in tennis. And just seven days later, after an absolute thriller of a final against Roger Federer, all the talk in Cincinnati was about Novak Djokovic and a career golden masters. Shortly after that victory, Novak spoke with Paul King. I received a lot of uh, support and a, uh, a lot of messages of congratulations and uh, encouragements and, and uh, respect from, from my colleagues, but also from people from different sports. And um, I, I think when I, when I started receiving those messages and, and, and people coming up to me and you know, uh, praising my uh, achievement, I understood how big that achievement is. And obviously, I, I, I knew the importance and the weight of, uh, you know, trying to win the Cincinnati. And uh, I was in the position to complete the career Golden Masters for several years in a row. And um, actually, a couple of years in a row, I haven't played Cincinnati. Um, so I was I was looking forward to come back. And, and um, I, I just started playing my best I think on the grass courts I I thought I, I had a fantastic run in Queens and Wimbledon obviously that was a it was a big comeback I felt uh, <clears throat> you know playing at the level desired and, and level that I worked really hard for uh, and it took obviously four or five months really to for things to come together after a surgery so I was as, as motivated as ever really coming into Cincinnati I, I uh, had an early exit in uh, Toronto so I had time to practice and to get used to the conditions that are quite tricky in Cincinnati. You know, the ball flies through the air very quickly and courts are, are fast. So, you, you know, kind of have to be alert and um, adjust to that game, you know, be, be a little bit more aggressive and play with good intensity. So, I, you know, I had an ultimate challenge uh, in the finals playing as the most successful player in Cincinnati, Cincinnati's tournament's history, Feather who has won against me in two or three previous finals occasions that I had there. Um, and, and I knew, you know, I knew what's expecting me. So um, I, I thought I thought I was very, very focused. I came out, uh, came out very motivated, but I also managed to, to hold my nerves, I think, in the important moments and had a great support. So it was just uh, one of those days that, uh, that works in your favor. And I was just very, very grateful to... Uh, to achieve such a such a fantastic uh, milestone. I mean, it all started 11 long years ago in, in Miami. What sort of player was a 20-year-old Novak Djokovic? And what do you remember of your emotions at the time beating that surprise finalist, I guess, in, in Guillermo Canas? I remember the finals very well. That was actually the, the first and only best of five finals I've, I've played uh, um, in, in Masters 1000 events. Kanyas was, I, I remember playing really well. He beat back-to-back, -back, I think, tournaments, Indian Wells and Miami Feather. Uh, and, um, you know, he was, uh, he, he was tough, tough to play, you know, because he, he was running a lot of balls down and not making too much mistakes. But I, I was just uh, a teenager who was uh, inspired to play his best tennis and, you know, very pumped, so, so to say, to be in this kind of occasion to, to fight for you know, for the Masters title. And, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously a dream come true. A lot of doors opened for me after after that win. I think there was a huge springboard uh, for what was to come after that. I, I won later that year uh, another um, Masters 1000 event in Montreal, you know, beating uh, number three, two and one of the world quarter semis and finals and, and, uh, and having a phenomenal match with Roger 7-6 in the third set. So, you know, definitely those, um, those wins meant a lot to me. I started really back then to, to believe that I'm, you know, I can challenge and win, um, you know, on a big stage against the best players in the world. And I proved it to myself. And yeah, and then after that, you know, the rest is history. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, as you say, the more hard-court uh, hard victories followed, and you took the first Masters clay title the following year in Rome. And how important was it to sort of prove that you could compete at the highest level on, on all surfaces? Well, I, I thought I always uh, managed to, to, to play you know, some of my best tennis uh, at, at the Masters events, and I always aimed to, to play, um, you know, to peak, so to say, in those events, because next to Grand Slams, those are the biggest events, the biggest events that we have on the ATP Tour, so... You know they carry a lot of points and uh, they're very important. So that's that's how you you know make yourself known to to the tennis world. You know being being able to to play on a big stage and fight for big trophies. And uh, you know I've been I've been really as I said blessed to to have a fantastic results throughout my career. Uh, won 30 plus titles and and Masters events and played uh, many many finals as well. So um, just being able to 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 achieve um the golden masters and and winning on on different surfaces and indoors outdoors um you know when when i reflect on it it's it's it really is one of the ultimate challenges that that you can have in in the our sport and i'm you know makes me very proud uh but it's not only me it's my team obviously i always have to acknowledge them because they they give me the support they give me wings they you know, um, create the formula of success together uh, side by side with me. Um, a couple of years of near dominance as well, we really have to talk about, obviously, at 2011 and 2015. And, and when you look back at those years, I mean, what had clicked for you and, and how remarkable was that achievement when you consider the sort of the era you're playing against with the likes of Roger and Rafa and, and Andy, of course, as well? Well, obviously, I mean, rivalries with all these three guys um, were quite different and, and each of those rivalries has shaped me into the player I am today and I really am grateful to be in, the, in their era. Um, if you asked me that at the beginning of my career, I probably wouldn't give you the same answer because they were, you know, winning, especially Nadal and Feather, most of the matches that I played against them. And uh, right now I do have a positive score, but it took, it took over, you know, almost a decade to actually uh, start um, winning head-to-head. Um, and, and, you know, those two guys especially, and Andy, of course, but you know, Feather and Nadal have um, really made me do my homework and, and get out on the court and, and figure out what, you know, what it takes to, to win against those guys, to, to win the, the big titles. And, and I've been just also very, very fortunate not to get any major injuries um, on the road. Um, I had elbow just a couple of years ago and obviously surgery earlier, earlier in 2018. But other than that, throughout my entire professional career, I've stayed pretty healthy I haven't missed any slam and I haven't you know missed too many thousand events and just uh, I think that has helped also in terms of creating such schedule in a way where I can peak at a certain time that I feel like is most appropriate for uh, you know for my career and I've, I've managed to do so. Does the fact that you achieved that Cincinnati success on the back of that long injury layoff make it one of your even more satisfying feats in your career, let's say? Oh, absolutely. I mean, considering the obviously the occasion, considering the the uh, challenge that was at task, and you know the milestone that was that was there waiting, um, you know, to to be conquered and to be achieved. Um, I played, I think, five previous finals, and I failed at the last step, and. Um, you know, obviously, <laughs> I must must say that it was at the back of my mind coming into that finals against Roger, um, and, and and knowing that I've never won against him there, knowing that I've never won that tournament. Obviously, it was a huge occasion, the best possible finals, and and uh, it's just uh, I, I just managed to to as I said, uh, calm myself down and center myself, and you know just get the best out of out of out of myself out of my game uh, I thought I was well prepared I was playing well I, I got myself out of dig myself actually out of, out of the trouble in a couple of matches before that you know I was, I was losing a, I was the down a break in quarters against uh, Raonic I was uh, you know losing against Dimitrov set in a break and um, you know I won a very close three setter against Cilic in semis so it was just it's one of one of these things when you know it's just everything turns out your way and it, it was meant to be, and um, just uh, you know um, obviously I was very jo- uh, joyful after it and grateful as well. You mentioned Roger there. I guess looking at someone like that in terms of his longevity, that could be an inspiration for many years to come. I said absolutely. I mean, if if he can do it, why why can't I? And no, I mean that's you know he he was. Uh, 
you know, leader in many ways in our sport and, and, and a great example on and off the court and uh, someone that always, um, you know, worked around his schedule very well to, to, to play his best and peak at the right time. And that's why he's arguably the best player in the world uh, ever, you know, in, in, in tennis. So he's, you know, 37, he keeps on playing on a very high level. And, you know, it's just, it, it, first of all, I think it comes down to how much you really want it, you know, how much are you willing to put you know put into work how much are you willing to sacrifice you know your, your family life and the other things and then of course uh, you know your body whether it listens to you or not and um, but uh, I, I think that uh, the the mind um, uh, you know kind of drives the body as well so of course body you know, we have to take care of it as well. But, uh, I th you know, I've, I've been myself personally uh, part of some epic matches and uh, almost they went almost six hours. And I know when everything hurts and you feel like you can't, you have nothing left physically in the tank, but there's something, some, some force that keeps you going. So I, I believe that it, it's always first, you know, that you know, state of mind and, and, and whether emotionally you, you're willing to, do you, if you have willpower to keep on going, you have a desire to, you know, to be at your best and to keep on striving to be the best and striving to 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 play the tennis. Um, I guess the time will come where I will have to decrease the amount of tournaments and traveling and just as Roger does, focus on certain periods of the year and I guess tournaments and swings where I feel like I have a best chance. So uh, uh, we'll see how it goes. I'm. I'm, you know, 31, but I don't. Age is just a number for me, so I don't look at it that way. And I, I still, I still love it. I'm, I'm very pleased to, 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 to do what I love, and hopefully, can get going for many more years. And the plaudits would keep coming for Djokovic after he followed up that success with his third U.S. Open triumph to tie the great Pete Sampras on 14 career Grand Slams. He would march on to the penultimate ATP Masters 1000 of the year in Shanghai. And it was in China that Lee Goodall went off the beaten track to find out a little more about one of the year's biggest climbers, Georgia's Nikolos Basilashvili, who'd just won his second title of the year in Beijing, which was also just the second of his career. One reason behind that improvement is coach Jan de Witt, formerly with Frenchman Gilles Simon, and now working closely with the only Georgian at the top of the game. Jill and me, we had uh, five really good and successful years and I enjoyed the time a lot with him and I think he did the same. But yeah, like many times in pro sport, it comes to an end. And, and first me, I felt it's time to make something new and he was hesitating a bit, but then we agreed on that probably it's the best for both of us to separate ways and try something new. and. Um, that was after US Open last year and uh, I stepped away a bit from the tennis for some time and it was a very interesting time as well. Yeah, I hear from our good friend Arv Palmer that it was a, a, you spent a bit of time with volleyball and football, is that right? Yeah, that's right. It was much more time with football than with volleyball. But even the volleyball time, I was a bit with the Australian national team, was very interesting and we will see if there will be something to continue. I have less time now when I'm working full time, um, but I really enjoyed to have the opportunity to get a deep insight of other professional sports and hopefully I could help those guys a little bit to improve their setups, to work on some details. Uh, it's I think it's an interesting thing uh, to come when you're an expert in something like me obviously I'm an expert in coaching in tennis uh, to a different environment to meet other people to have people with different knowledge around you with a different approach to their sport uh, many things were new for me and I felt it was not being hired to give some knowledge to them but at least the same for me to to learn and to get some fresh ideas as well. It's worth saying for, for the listeners who, who perhaps don't know your setup back in Europe, you do have an academy, is that the right word? And, and obviously you have an involvement with that as well. It wasn't like you were stepping away from the sport completely. I guess that's running on a day-to-day -day basis. Just tell us a little bit about that, that centre, that facility. 
Uh, the center is in Halle where the Gary Weber Open is and uh, we are not having only grass courts, we have all the surfaces and we have everything and, and that keeps running no matter if I'm traveling or if I work in football. The time when I was with a pro football I was full time there um, and when, when I was off from tennis I was really off from tennis so the academy runs with or without me and even if it runs with me I'm not the person who's really running business there. I'm one of the owners and I have been head coach for many years, but that's a long time ago. And right now we have other people that run the show there and they do it really well. And I'm happy to see that they do that well. And I don't feel at all that they really need me for anything. So I'm free to choose how much time I want to spend there. And, and the choice was to be really away from the sport. And the football thing just happened in the time when I was off, that these guys called me and said, can you join, can you spend a bit more time here? We have a situation we would like you to help. And I had already had like two, two and a half months like off, off with enjoying life, taking some holidays, just being with the family. And I felt, okay, yeah, let's, let's try something really different. And then you got the call from Nikolos, I would imagine. Can you just give us a bit of a background of how that came about and when exactly you started working with him? Uh, I mean, Nico plays since two years already in our club in Halle. It's not only that we have the academy and the tournament, we also have a Bundesliga team since many years and he plays for the team since two years. And I had matches against Nico, so we knew each other from the tour, but not that well and a bit better from the team matches. And uh, he had been talking to me before and I was always busy so there was no chance that we could try something and then in the springtime when he started calling me um, I was still working in the football club so right in the first moment I still could not help him with anything but we started talking about doing it maybe a bit later during the season when I have a bit more time and he didn't have a setup he was just on his own and trying to figure out things and then we finally got it going French Open. And anyone who perhaps isn't playing close attention to tennis results, they'll see this guy, Basilishvili, he's won Hamburg, that's an ATP 500. He's won Beijing, another 500, which is an incredible effort for anyone to win two 500s in, this, in the space of a few months. Had a great run in New York. They'll be saying, what's going on with this guy? Can, do, you, do you have the answer? <laughs> You've done something special with him, or maybe, maybe just some small changes. I, from the outside, it always looks like there must be something magic or something big going on. And um, I can explain you what we did. And then it's always up to the person that these things are happening with, how he's responding on that and how he can, how can use the things that are maybe new or the advice that I can give to him. And when you see the results, I would say it's, it's more a sign of that this player is really open-minded and took a decision for himself to change some things. And he's the one who's changing, not me. I can give him some advice and we had some areas in the game when we were really working because for me all this is, is, is really no magic. So um, I'm, I'm really convinced that it's about knowledge and about doing the things in a proper way. Like when we work on the return, I really have to know my stuff. I really have to know it and you need to be good in biomechanics, in technique, you need to have a vision of how the player is doing it and then you have to find the right words and that's sometimes not even words, you have to find the right ways to get the message to the player and what you can say is that we were really successful so far in, in, in getting my message to this guy and the way how he was responding on it because Anytime when we try to, to give some information, the deciding end is not the one who has an idea and wants to give an information. The deciding end is always the one that is receiving. And my main job is to know my stuff and then to find the way that he can receive the message in the best possible way for himself. And that's what we try to do and, and that it works that quick with these big results. It's just happening. This is not planned. You must be delighted with his attitude then, I guess. That's, that's the key, isn't it? I guess you're, you're saying the way he's been open-minded, that's the phrase you, you used, and being able then, I suppose, the challenge is taking it on to the biggest stages. I mean, the, the Masters 1000 here to beat Shapovalov, to, the final of Beijing against Del Potro, US Open, it's, that's, that's not easy, is it? No, that's definitely not easy, and we could see on those stages that, that my player is really not scared to win on the big stages. He's not only showing up there, he's hungry to win. 
And honestly, we are really looking forward to play Zverev tomorrow because we want to play those guys. I mean, we played Rafa in the biggest stadium in the world. We played Delpo now in the finals in Beijing. Now we are happy to play Zverev in a Masters 1000 here in Shanghai. That's what we want to do. And with this attitude, I'm really happy. But on the other hand, uh, it's still a lot to improve also in attitude, in everything. We can improve everywhere. Which is good news, surely, because that means the ranking can only go in one direction. No, that's never meaning that the ranking can go only in one direction. The ranking can go anywhere, but the ranking is not the thing that we are focused on. We are focused on, on, on putting the game together, in finding quality, in showing up for practice every day with a high motivation. And the results going to follow the quality that we're going to bring to the court, and the ranking is going to follow the results that we're going to bring with our quality. So we are really not thinking ranking or... No, that's not, that's not the approach. I'm pretty sure that the other things are bringing you much further in life and especially in sport. Focus on what you have to do. Focus on doing it right and, and just be in the moment and, and do it as good as you can. And then the results and the ranking and the money and the fame and everything will follow. If you think about that and you're scared maybe not to make this or maybe I do this wrong, no, I don't believe in that. Jan de Witt with Lee Goodall. And having beaten Denis Shapovalov, Basilashvili would lose to Shanghai semi-finalist Sasha Zverev. But in the end, everyone would bow to Djokovic, who beat Borna Choric in the Shanghai final. And so we arrived in Paris for the final Masters of the year, with Djokovic eyeing the world number one ranking. But trumping even that in the headlines early in the week was big news coming from the Grigor Dimitrov camp. Andre Agassi, formerly with Novak, of course, was back, this time alongside the struggling Dimitrov and his coach, Danny Valvadu, kindly took time out to speak with me. It's always a pleasure to speak to you, Seb, regardless of the, of the circumstances. But uh, yeah, definitely the last few months have been uh, up and down. A uh, couple tough losses in Beijing and, and then last week in Vienna. Um, but again, it's... it's been uh, it's been up and down already for for the la- for the second half of the year and and we're working I mean like I've told you before and, and I'll say it again we uh, we're very committed to to what we believe in and, and and the type of work we need to do to to keep getting better and, and trying to get that confidence back um, when I spoke to you in Cincinnati I told you that we were a bit unfortunate with uh, withdrawals and first rounds in in uh, in the middle of the year starting in Madrid and. But again, that's just not an excuse. You still have to have to play those matches and and, and try to win them. Just they, they didn't go our way, and then it's a, it's a slippery slope when, once you start losing matches. And and we're just trying to get it back, uh, trying to find find our way back and, and and get our confidence. Obviously, we're putting a few a few wins together. Will will be the the perfect recipe to to try and get that confidence back. So that's what we're trying to do. Keep keep working, trying to trying to keep our game as at some point as we can and, and then trying, trying to get those wins which are the ones that are, are going to get us back on track I mean you, you can do as, as much work as you want but if you are not winning and, and the confidence is not there it's difficult to, to use your, your assets so we're, we're hoping that um, even if it's, if it's this week would be great but if not we'll, we'll, we'll regroup train hard in, in November, December and then, and then try and start getting wins at the beginning of the year You said the word confidence a few times um, Try to put your finger on the problem. Is most of it now in Grigor's head? He's playing well. I mean, he, he's playing well. We're we're going through through some changes uh, that are, are going to be good for his uh, for the for the longevity of his career and 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 not only for for the beginning of next year, but but also when we're looking a bit long term. So we're going through a few processes that it's, it's not only mental. I think on. on when it comes down to equipment and, and, and game game plan, we're we're looking long term. We're not we're not focusing on, on on what's happening this week or or what's happening next month. We're we're trying to build him to to be the best player he can be. Uh, I think he's obviously achieved a lot of, a lot of big things, but uh, we still believe as a team that we need to build more in order for him to be consistently at the top. I think uh, what we've done is good enough to, to have some good results, but uh, but not good enough to, to be there at the top consistently. So that's what we're working towards and, and trying to build him in a way that that he's, he stands his best his best chance at, at, uh, at being there at the top for, for as long as possible. You said some technical changes um, and let's face it, it's not often Grigor serves, I think, what, what was it, 13 double faults. Are you looking at the serve? It looked a little bit different in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, we're working on the serve. Again, I think uh, the the double faults might be coming from, from the confidence uh, side of things, but we're definitely working on the serve and, and a few other things. Um, 
but again it's obviously not normal to be to be serving like that for him he's he's a great server and 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 he's one of one of his uh, top three assets assets that uh, that he counts on uh so it's obviously something to clean up and, and and get better but definitely we're working on 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 his serve to try and find the way that he can that he can rely on it consistently in the big moments not not just rely on it on, on some tournaments but but for him to rely it throughout the whole year and and, and to be able to rely on it rely on it later in the in the big in the big events so like i said we're we're thinking we're thinking long term and and trying to build him uh in a way that he can he can believe in his game uh for a longer period of time not not just for a few events so for for relative tennis pedants like me um and for people listening you know are we talking about his his ball toss the way he's taking his racket back the follow through what what are you looking at uh, I'm not going to get into the into the details uh, about what we're working on. It's just obviously trying to trying to minimize um, things that could go wrong with the serve. I think that's self-explanatory. So we're, we're trying to to simplify. I mean, since I started working with him, my my whole mindset was to try and simplify his game because that's the way that that we can that we can uh, believe in it and trust it for 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 a longer period of time. Otherwise, can be too vulnerable. So we're just trying to simplify his serve and you can put two and two together and, and figure that out yourself. Yeah. Okay. And the racket, you mentioned the racket in Cincinnati too. Um, change of racket, tweaked racket, which presumably has quite a big effect. Yeah, tweaked racket. Uh, again, uh, looking long term, uh, looking at his uh, sustainability of his game and, and sustainability of his body as well. Uh, so, like I said, we're not we're not trying to, to get him just to win a few events here, here and there. We're me and the team were trying to build him so so he can rely on his game consistently. Uh, and whether it happens or not, we're gonna have to wait and see. But uh, we we strongly believe that it's the way forward, and 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 he deserves as a player uh, and as an athlete to to give himself the best chance at at being at, there at the top consistently. So we're working towards it. We know it's a progress, it's a process, and um, and again we just need to start winning matches, get that confidence back, and then I think we'll we'll see the results. And we've gone, what, five minutes without mentioning Andre Agassi, who's here this week. Um, how's that come about? And what, uh, what are you aiming to, to get out of Andre, you and Griegel? Like I said, we're, we're looking long term and, and when having conversations uh, with Griegel and the team, I, I thought uh, having, having someone like Andre around that, that has known Griegel for, for a long time, since he, was, since he was a junior, he spent time with him in Vegas uh, back in the day and, and they've kept in touch um, throughout the years. Uh, I thought it would be a, an incredible asset to have, and and it's someone that that can help build that build that uh, that career that we're looking for. Uh, I think he can bring a lot of things, uh, not only on the on the court but off the court. Uh, he's he's a great person. It's a pleasure to have him around. So uh, I made the decision to to reach to reach out to him and and uh, and see if he would be willing to to help out. And and thankfully he's agreed. And and yeah, we've spent some time with him the last few weeks, and now he's here in Paris and. We're all very excited to have him to have him around in the future. The natural question from that: How much time do you think you'll you'll be getting from Andre going forward? Uh, totally up to him. Uh, Grigor is um, very relaxed about it. He he's not asking for for any commitment that Andre is not is not comfortable with. So we're just leaving it up to him, see, seeing how he, how it evolves uh, within the next few weeks and months. But uh, obviously, the the more the better. Uh, we're we're very thrilled to have him around and. And even the the last few weeks that that we've spent with him has been they have been extremely productive and, and positive and, and open between everybody. So uh, from our end, the the more he's around, the better. But again, it's um, it's someone like him. Uh, we just want him to feel comfortable with what he's doing and 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 whatever that is for him, we're we're happy with that. Wonderful. Well, we'll look forward to maybe chatting with Andre about that because it sounds like he's the one who will have to answer that question as well. Um, so when you start next year, I know you're, you've always set targets together. Um, because of the glory days of the O2 last year, let's face it, the ranking is going to drop. How does that play into your target setting for 2019? I think uh, when you're going through a process that we're going through right now, you, you don't look at the at the long term that much when 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 you look at at goal setting obviously most important thing right now is to put a few matches and a few wins together that's that's the goal we're looking when, now when we're setting uh, when we're setting targets and goals we're just looking at we're looking short term it's not the time to to be looking at, at long term goals obviously 
the long-term plan is to build him so he can win slams and, and he can be at the, at the top of the rankings. But, uh, but that's not what we're... That, that when we're looking at work, that those are our goals. But when we're looking at performance goals that are in front of us, we're just looking to get a few matches in and, and, and to get that confidence back. So just put a few wins together for now. And in terms of the off-season, um, how work-intensive do you see that being? Or is there some rest? Is, is it a lot of work with or without Andre? Uh, definitely some rest um, now after after Paris is done um, but then back to work uh, we haven't played that many matches in the last six months and and we need to get the body ready to 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 be on point by by January uh, we need to use these two months to to get the repetitions in and and, and, and make it um, as easy on the body as we can because when you don't play many matches uh, the the body loses that repetition and and, and and if you now spend a couple months not not uh, pushing it and getting in shape for that, then you're gonna pay for it in January. So definitely take some time off, probably probably ten days, and and then do do five weeks of of, of some solid uh, construct, constructive training. But definitely we're gonna spend uh, a big chunk of the time preparing preparing the body first on the physical side of things, and then spend a few a few uh, a few weeks. I don't know where that's gonna be. If it's gonna be in Monaco or, or with Andrew somewhere else, um, then working on his game and and trying to to again work on that on that long-term plan which is getting his game to a point where, where he's sustainable in the big moments finally and just for the record whether Andre is there or not you're still going to be there yeah of course yeah I'm, I'm all in I, uh, I love working with Grigor it's it's a it's a pleasure and 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 for me it's a, it's about problem solving uh, as a coach uh, I'm the leader of the team and, and I have to I have to take that position seriously and I'm bringing Andre along for me uh, it's something that hopefully will will problem solve problem solve some things uh, and that's that's what I'm trying to do as 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 the head coach of the team and and, and I hope it works but uh, I'm all in uh, I, all I want is is for Wigger to 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 have a, to have the the best base he can have to to achieve his potential and if achieving potential is the benchmark for success one man well ahead of the curve so far is 19 year old Australian Alex Dominor. Newcomer of the year in the ATP Awards, he also finished runner-up in the next-gen finals and closer to home became the Australian number one, which is what he was mainly reflecting on when he spoke with Lee Goodall. Oh, it's unbelievable feeling. I mean, uh, I never thought this would have happened uh, anytime soon. It's been an incredible year for me. I uh, started at 2000, uh, 208 in the world and and now where I am right now, it's just been incredible. And I honestly couldn't have done it with uh, the support I've had from the Aussie players. You know, Johnny, uh, he's helped me out a lot. Jordan, uh, all these Aussie players, especially in Davis Cup, they've really helped me with just believing in myself and, and uh, believing that I belong here and it's just uh, I really owe it all to them. As you just mentioned it's a huge jump outside the top 200 that was the start of the year you were a similar sort of ranking this time last year as well and uh, not far off top 30 now. Um, oh, I'd be interested to know what were the goals on January the 1st? Are you, are you a player that sets specific ranking goals or is it you've just been enjoying the ride and seeing, uh, focusing on the next target, the next target? I can tell you at the start of the year, my my goal was to finish the year top 100. And I believed I, I had the level, but it was important for me to, to try to bring that level and that intensity week in and week out. And that's something that I'm, I'm really proud of, that this year I've been able to accomplish this and, and play well a lot of weeks in a row. And that's something that I felt my first year on tour, I couldn't quite do so uh, I've just been learning each day and, and trying to get better yeah absolutely it's one of the thing I noticed uh, looking at your results you know still posting semi-finals in in China a couple of weeks ago we'll talk about what what you feel you need to develop uh, in the next maybe six months a year in, in a second I just wondered for the perhaps the listeners who don't know too much about what you do away from tournament weeks can you just give us an idea of where your base is and and who's working with you and who's helped you on this journey particularly over the last 12 months uh well at the moment i, I live in alicante spain uh, that's where the whole family's at and uh, the little time that i have off tournaments that's uh, where i spend and just there with uh, my coach adolfo gutierrez who 
he's been with me now I think about 10 years I mean um, I started with him when I was probably around uh, 8 or 10 and then uh, halfway through I had to go to Australia and um, started with uh, tennis coaches over there and with the academy and with all the support of Tennis Australia and when I came back to Spain we sort of reconnected and it's just been great because he's one of the guys that probably has been there uh, close to day one and it's been an immense help to have him in my corner as well as uh, my manager who's done a lot of weeks with me, David Drysdale, he's probably done uh, just finished like four months on the road with me and um, the little things like that just make a huge difference and to have a, a great team around me I can really just focus on on playing tennis and obviously uh, with the great help of uh, Leighton as a mentor and just uh, showing his belief in me it, it it's all been it's been an amazing year and it's been thanks to to the people around me. Yeah, I guess it's it's nice being able to, uh, and I would imagine this is the case, consistently check in with Leighton, whether it's on a Davis Cup week or I think you played a bit of doubles with him, didn't you, earlier this year? I think that was in Estoril, if I, if I remember correctly. Have you been to his place over in the Bahamas as well? Have you been over there training with Leighton? Yes, I did go there before Indian Wells. Um, first time I had been in the Bahamas and it's insane i mean it was an incredible we were just there one week uh to get ready for indian wells but it was just incredible uh, i mean uh the weather the place is uh probably like all the pictures you see there and with one eye on the future i, I think another good element this season an impressive element is how well you've done across different surfaces different continents right through the season have you pinpointed things that maybe you need to say, I need to do this better in 12 months' time, or, or that's going to be something that we, we really need to develop in maybe five years' time, however long-term that plan is in terms of game development? Oh, there's definitely a lot of things. And um, every time you're out there, you you learn new things. And, and I mean, this is only my second year on tour, so uh, still uh, a lot of things where I'm learning. And it, it's a lot of a learning process. I mean, you got to you got to know what tournaments to play. I mean, now that this is my second year around, um, sort of it's, this year has been the first time I've played a lot of tournaments and from there I can sort of tell where suits me better and where I feel more comfortable and stuff like that. And I think that's just one of the things that you learn from just being on tour, to choose what tournaments you play, see how well the body handles all the tournaments if you need to take more breaks or you can play four or five tournaments in a row even how how you're doing mentally because sometimes that's probably one of the most important things um if you feel good mentally you don't feel tired um then that's when you you have your good week so you've got to try and and keep refreshed uh, mentally that's why um Next year, I'm looking forward to probably playing uh, less tournaments and having more training blocks back home. And from one young man, we finish this week with another. Sasha Zverev's year would finish in the best possible way, achieving the unthinkable for many in London by beating Novak Djokovic in the final to win his first NITO ATP finals. Shortly, we'll hear the reaction we got straight afterwards from close friend Marcello Mello and fitness coach Jez Green. But first, Gigi Salmon and the moment Sasha Zverev clinched his biggest title yet. Championship point number two for the world number four, Sasha Zverev, in his first final at this level to win the biggest title of his career. Djokovic serves, serves down the tee, snap back. Djokovic pushed back into a forehand that's middle of the court. Backhand cross court from Zverev. Backhand cross court and very deep from Djokovic, who opens up the forehand and goes middle of the court. Forehand, slightly tentative from Zverev, who hits a double-handed backhand. More weight on that ball. Slice cross court from Djokovic. Backhand scooped up cross court from Zverev. Down the line goes Djokovic. Cross court forehand goes Zverev. Big forehand down the line from Djokovic. Oh, he's passed! Game set and match Djokovic is passed and Sasha Zverev is the champion in London in straight sets against the world number one Novak Djokovic. Djokovic has climbed over the net. Sasha Zverev is on his back on the court and now the two embrace at the end of the court. 
Sasha Zverev has won the biggest title of his career and he's won it in style. Straight set, 6-4, six, 6-3. Six, yeah, it was uh, amazing, quite surprising. He, his level was uh, huge today. Uh, we know he can play like that, but to do it against someone like Novak in, uh, in the final of the tournament this big is, is amazing for a young guy like him. And it's wonderful for the team around him because you've said for years when we've spoken to you, this is a long-term plan. It's not going to happen overnight, so it must be very pleasing for you to be seeing these results. Yeah, and again, this is only hopefully only the start of the uh, next 10, 12 years for him, but he's got a great team. I mean, his, his parents have put a, a foundation of tennis that's unmatchable. Uh, now we've got Ivan involved as well, which is, which is great. So hopefully he can, he can go to the next level. If he wants to, it's actually up to him. But yeah, it's to, to watch him progress and get better and better is uh, is what what is a lot of fun. And these moments just must be very very special. Yeah, I mean, for me even being here, London, not bad. I'll, I'll take this the last match of the year. Yeah, but now you know, we celebrate a little bit, and then now we just got to go back to work and, and go again for Australia. I mean, nothing changes. Please tell me you're giving him a little bit of time off. But, yeah, it's, it's more him. Believe me, it's not me. Uh, He'll get at least 10 days, I think, before he gets bored. I'll give him two weeks, but he, he will take 10 days, want to do something, and then in two weeks' time, we'll start pretty pretty brutal off-season again. Jess, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, and enjoy the celebrations however long they last. <laughs> thank you, pleasure. Thank you, thank you. We're very happy to be joined by Marcelo Melo. Marcelo, what was it like to watch that performance from Sasha Zverev? How enjoyable was it to watch him playing like that? Yeah, he played uh, very well uh, since the beginning of the match. Uh, I mean, I think he deserved it. how I can see, of course, every day how he uh, looking for for this moment, like practicing inside the court, outside the court in many ways. So he's uh, it was all deserved, well played. I don't know how to say it for him. So I'm very happy for him, for his team, for especially for his parents, which put him in this way. And his brother, of course, Misha, is very important uh, for him during the career and even now. It's lovely to get that insight because you see the work, you see how many hours and you see that this is thoroughly deserved. He's only 21. This is the biggest title of his career, 10 titles and world number four. Yes, uh, he still has long way. Uh, if you see, comparing to me, I'm 35, uh, 14 years ahead of him and uh, he is 21, making this uh, tournament possible. That's what I'm saying. He has uh, a lot to learn still, even though he won here. I hope he continue winning like this and improve uh, in the Grand Slams. I think his dream to win the, the Grand Slams as well as was here. So I think he's in the right path and the right way to, to be there. That is all for this week. I'm Seb Lozier. I hope you've enjoyed our look back on the year. Remember, if you want to listen to more interviews, you can find them all on our exclusives channel on TuneIn. If you've enjoyed the podcast, leave us a review on iTunes. And it's never been easier to find ATP Tennis Radio on TuneIn, on the ATP World Tour website, on iTunes, and now also on Spotify. Next week, I can promise a whole lot of fun. Everyone loves a quiz. And so it proves when our entire ATP Tennis Radio team were put on the spot. Join us then. <laughs>